0: In today's Isaiah reading, for those of you who know your history know that Isaiah wrote before the Assyrian exile and then Jeremiah wrote before the Babylonian exile. And the reason for exile in both cases was idolatry. So what I'd like to talk about is idolatry. What does idolatry mean to us today? Now, in the time of biblical Israel and certainly in much of the world today, an idol was an object of worship. You know, they made it out of stone or wood or metal or something like that. And there are still places in the world where that is the case. Now, as we all know, exile is therapeutic for Israel. In other words, they get sent into exile to a place that is going to flush out the thing that got them sent into exile. We talked about that before. So if you're going to flush idolatry out of them, where do you send them besides Idol Central? and that's what God did and when they came back out of exile the temptation to make graven images and so forth was gone Israel is not tempted with that anymore tempted with other things and they had to go back into exile but that particular problem was cured and today in Christian America quote unquote I don't know of anybody in any church that would fall down and worship a statue or and Catholics are kind of an interesting case because they don't believe they're worshiping those images. That's their theology, and that's fine. They believe that the images are simply a focus where they worship God. And I understand that, and I'm not bashing Catholics. So what is idolatry? What does it look like today to us? And where I'm going to be most of the time is in First John, interestingly enough. For those Tuesday night Bible study mavens, we went through First John, just finished it up. I would not have believed that we would spend six weeks on that book, but we did. And the thing about it that's interesting is the last sentence, and it's First John 5, 21. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And it's almost like a throwaway line because he hasn't been talking about idols anywhere in the book up until then. He's talking about all sorts of stuff and at the end he says, by the way, keep yourself from idols. Where did that come from? What I will suggest is in fact the entire book is talking about that subject. It just isn't obvious to us. One of the things about John is he's the only apostle that talks about not being of the world. You've all heard the phrase, be in the world but not of the world, right? common thing in the church. Well, John's the one that talks about that, and he talks about it, of course, in the Gospel of John, where he's quoting Yeshua, where Yeshua says, these people of mine are not of the world, and I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. They're going to be here, but they shouldn't be of the world. And in 1 John, John also talks about not being of the world. 1 John 2 Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then in 1 John 5, verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Anybody have trouble parsing that sentence? Let me read it again. And think about parsing that sentence. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What does it mean to overcome the world? Am I the only one here that thinks that that's kind of puzzling? Because I do. I think it's really kind of puzzling. What's the first vignette in Scripture after the creation? What did we do? We reached out and we took something that God didn't want us to have. And what I will suggest to you is idolatry is the mechanism by which we reach out and we take something that God doesn't want us to have what John is talking about, about not being of the world, your relationship should be with God and anything that you get should come to you in a way that God authorizes as opposed to you reaching out and taking something that he doesn't want you to have that's what it means not to be of the world The things that you get come to you from God. As opposed to what Adam and Eve did, where God says, that's not for you. And and by the way, I would say that's not for you yet. Because if you look at what they took, eventually it is something that God wants us to have because it is the gift that God gives to kings of Israel, being able to discern good from evil. It's something that you need. But you little children are not ready for that yet. Keep your hands off of that, and when you're ready for it, I'll give it to you. We don't do that. We see it, and we want it, and we reach out, and we take it. And what I will suggest to you is that is the essence of idolatry. So now let's go back to 1 John. So I'm in 1 John chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Cool. Encouragement. Great. This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Notice the qualification there. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. What requests have we asked of him in this sentence? Things that he wants us to have. We're talking about... Prayers in accordance with his will. Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And by the way, many of your southern brethren in discussing sin, of course, fetch up in Romans which is a good place to fetch up. I'm not knocking Romans. And they say, the wages of sin is death. Therefore, everybody's a sinner and everybody's condemned to death. That's not what John says. What John says is, everybody sins. We do. But not all sins lead to death. And furthermore, he says, when you pray for your brother who you see sinning, a sin that does not lead to death, that in fact God will hear your prayer... read it again. All wrongdoing is sin, but there are sins that do not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Who is the one who was born of God? The one who's praying. Now, for those of you who have King Jimmy and derivatives, there's a difference in the Greek text. The sense of... English Standard and so forth, which I'm reading for, is the one who is protecting the sinner is the one who prayed for him. In King Jimmy's sense, the one who is protecting the sinner is Yeshua, to whom prayer was directed. I don't care which way you do it. The point is, the prayer is what kicks it off, and that prayer then protects the one who's sinning. So verse 19 again, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one who was from God we are believers and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding and we are in him who is true in his son Yeshua Messiah he is the true God in an eternal life little children keep yourselves from idols you see how that little children keep yourself from idols just sort of plopped in there at the end unless you understand what God means by idolatry and you don't have to guess Paul tells us and it's in Ephesians 5.5 5 and Colossians 3, five. put to death therefore what is earthly in you what is earthly in you of the world talking about the same thing right put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry So what Paul tells you is covetousness is idolatry. Well, what happened back in the garden? Didn't we look at the thing that we were forbidden to take and didn't we covet it? Didn't we want it? Sure we did. So what I'm suggesting to you is that this book of 1 John, when he's talking about being in the world but not of the world, what he's talking about is how do we deal with the things that God has put in front of us and how do we decide what's for us and what's not well in the garden it was really clear don't eat that and early on in scripture it's also very clear because we Israel worshipped idols, now why would you worship an idol I will suggest that the reason you worship an idol is because you think you can get something from the idol that you can't get from God, so I'm going to take a segue and then come back to that. One of the things that God did, and we've talked about this lots of times, so this shouldn't be anything strange to anybody, is he gave us dominion over the place. And God made a policy, and this is God's policy. If he had made some different policy, there's nothing we could do about it. He made a policy that since we have dominion, everything that he wants to accomplish on earth, he would do through one of us. And if you look back in Scripture, you know, all the stuff that happens, you know, happens with Moses holding up a rod, and then all of a sudden, away it goes. Moses has to hold up the rod because Moses is God's man. So when we're talking about things like one of us praying for someone who is sinning, not a sin that leads to death, what he's saying is, somebody has to speak this out in order for me to act on behalf of this sinner. And what we have in Scripture all over is prophets like Isaiah for example, who speak things that God wants to have said, and then once a man has spoken it, God, according to his own policy, is then free to go off and release his power into the situation and make it happen. But he's got to get somebody to talk about it. He got to, that's the wrong way to say it. He doesn't have to do anything. He has decided to behave that way and he's consistent. So one of the things to understand is when we pray God is under no obligation to do what we want. If you pray something that's not according to his will, he has no obligation whatsoever to honor that prayer. He does not have any obligation. But when you pray according to his will, what you do is you then... It's hard to talk about this. Releasing God, I mean, that seems kind of blasphemous, and I don't mean it that way. But when you pray according to his will, it's something that he wants to do and in order to do it he needs somebody to speak it so that he can do it (laughs) make it real clear that we don't control God we are simply the valve if you will that allows God's power to flow into the world that's what we're designed to be one of the things about having dominion and free will is God doesn't prior restrain us and I've used this example lots of times Those of you who have small children, you can look at your toddler and you know what's going to happen next. You can just see on his face what's going to happen next. And all you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. And God can look at us and he can see, well, this is what's going to happen next. But God chooses not to restrain us. He chooses not to stop us before we do it. Hence, the business about praying for someone who sins. We all do it. Back to idols now. Remember I said an idol is something that you make in your own image to get you something that you don't think you can get from God. Now notice I said an idol is a God you make in your own image. All of us have predilections. Some of us are greedy. Some of us are lustful. Some of us are power hungry. Some of us are all three. We're all that way. The nice thing about pagan gods from our perspective is, you got a problem with lust? cool, we got a god for that called Aphrodite or Cupid you have several, you have choices so you can go to a god god, quote, small g who will give you the desires of your own heart you like power? cool, we got a god for that Mars or Ares, the god of war power you want wealth? cool, we can do that Polonius the word plutocracy comes from it by the way we got a god for wealth you can go sacrifice to him and get wealth that's the nice thing about paganism for our point of view is we can make gods in our own image in the image of what we want and what you want is not the same as what I want that's why we need lots of gods idols are not just stupid superstition there are in fact unclean spirits that will answer to those names which, by the way, is why God says in Exodus, I don't want to hear those names on your lips. Exodus 23:13. Pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. That is not just because God is, which he is. It's also because there are spiritual beings out there that will answer to those names. And the spiritual beings that will answer to those names will, in fact, do stuff for you. Well, my daughter changed her name. Before we were believers, we named our daughter Diana, which is a Roman goddess. When she hit 13, she says, Uh, wait a minute, I just read Exodus 23, 13, and it says I shouldn't have that name on my lips. I'm going to go change my name, and she did. By the way, you can't buy sneakers without having the name of a foreign god on your lips. Our entire society is permeated with these foreign gods we tend to think in our western sophistication that oh well it's just those primitive people out there they're the only ones that believe in that stuff we sophisticated bright people don't believe in any of that and what i'm saying to you is those people are not as stupid as you think because there are demons that will answer to those names somebody said that there are more wiccans in the united states than there are presbyterians now so what these are, are they are people who do not believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will give them what they want, so they're looking for a better deal. And the better deal involves no obedience. You can also find a God that will cater to your every perversion, regardless of what it is. Whereas with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says, All right, I'd be delighted to bless you, but in order for me to bless you, you've got to behave this way. Well, we don't like the behave this way part. We like the blessed part, but we don't like to behave this way. So what an idol is is something that is made in your own image that will give you something that God does not want you to have or you don't think God wants you to have. And by the way, in a lot of the church, that idol's name is Jesus. Anybody ever heard the phrase, my God wouldn't do that? Just because they proclaim the J name, if you will, doesn't mean that they're not worshiping idols. And you have whole branches of the church who have gone off into things that are clearly forbidden by God. And they're justifying it in the J name. What I'm suggesting to you is that's idol worship. They have made God in their own image. Now, how do you recognize when you're doing idols? As I say, we in the United States are not tempted with these little stat... Well, maybe they are in Boulder. But I'm suggesting that nobody in the church... Is tempted by the burning sense in front of a statue or so forth. It's just not the way we do things. It's difficult to recognize when you're dealing with idols because we have a part to play in bringing God's will into the world. Remember, I told you it's God's policy that He operates through people, which means that your words have power. Remember, that's what 1 John is saying. If you see one of your brethren who is sinning, pray for him and your prayer will protect him. That's power our words have power, we're designed that way so when you're praying and things happen what you need to figure out is am I praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the power of the Holy Spirit or am I praying to some idol that is just doing what I want it to do that's the thing you gotta figure out and it's hard because as I say our words have power, we're in the mix so the first question you should ask yourself Am I trying to avoid obedience to some part of the Torah? When I'm asking this, am I trying to avoid obeying something that God clearly says to do or not do? That's a big clue. Parts of the church that are doing things like homosexual ordination and all that kind of stuff, that's pretty clear. God says don't do that. So someone who is praying about that subject with the desire of coming up with a lesbian priest is trying to avoid obedience are you trying to gain power over somebody else that's a big one, especially in Wicca ooh, I want him or her to fall in love with me so I will go and I will pray to this idol about that and by the way, there are gods who have the proper name that you can go through that door and they say that they will give you the desire of your heart power over someone else In other words, I don't want to develop a relationship with that person. I want power. I want that person to do what I want him to do. So that's a second clue that you might be involved in idol worship. Are you trying to avoid work? God is not a cosmic slot machine. You've got to do your part. You have got stuff that you should be doing, and then you should be praying to God to come alongside you by his spirit and help you out and give you power and ability and knowledge and all those kinds of things but it is not, okay I'm going to sit here with my hands over my tummy and on my blessed assurance and I'm just going to wait until something happens that again is idol worship and then the final thing that I've got, and there may be others, these are just ones I thought of the final one is are you worshiping an object, in other words are you attaching something to an object a little metal statue, a rabbit's foot a lucky coin? Are you afraid to go out of your house without your lucky coin in your pocket because you don't know what's going to happen? Lots of people are that way. So what you've done is you have attached to an object for protection, good luck, any of those kinds of things. If you attach to an object, that's an indicator that you're dealing with idols. So, as you go through life, it is always really, really tempting to fall into idolatry. Remember, Israel had the very presence of God In town, You had the temple with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and the incense and all that kind of stuff right in the middle of town. Did that protect them from idolatry? No, it didn't. I will suggest that they had a closer and better relationship with God than most of us do because the very presence of God was in the camp and that didn't protect them. So what I'm suggesting to you I know nobody here is tempted to fall down before a statue, but what I'm saying is pay attention to what you're doing and look to see if you are entering into idolatry because it's really easy to do. And remember, idolatry is covetousness, which is I want something that God doesn't want me to have, and I will do whatever is necessary to get it. I will close with first John. Little children, keep yourselves from idols.